Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the brand new episode of the Daily Objective, the Daily Objective, the show based out of the United Kingdom. And today we have an actual UK resident slash citizen, a man who has been called the last of the great psychologists or the first of their return. Uh, without any disrespect to any other psychologists, I realize now <laughs> we could have a few watching. Uh, this is just how I introduce everybody to make them feel special. Josh Dixon. Good to see you, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Of course. Um, now, well, this is, you know, it's, it's your country. I'm really the guest. Um, yeah. Now we're talking about the lockdown and mental health today. And um, I think a big part of what makes life uh, maneuverable and possible is being able to predict the consequences of your actions, cause yeah. and effect. And what we've seen historically in dictatorships is you know, that the laws are unknowable until you've broken them. That's kind of a, a tactic they use. And uh, I don't want to open any conspiracy theories about the, the pandemic mm. one way or the other, but just the fact that it's so unpredictable could drive somebody nuts. You, you, you can't run a business. You can't plan, make plans for your family or for yourself, whatever it is. I would imagine this pandemic is really driving people crazy in a way that maybe I don't really feel it so much because I'm I'm sort of in the habit of just kind of staying home and, and getting some work done on the internet anyway. Sure. What do you think? No, totally. I mean, just from my own experience, you know, as well as working my private practice, which is, I have to say is thriving due to partly due to the pandemic, which is sad at the same time. You know, there's a lot of people who have been triggered by being trapped at home, being stuck with families. Um, you know, there's a, there's part of the English culture there's a, a lot of people went to boarding schools and for most people that was not a happy time. And this, the, the pandemic has brought back sort of elements of that helplessness that goes with that. Um, you know, my, my own experience as well as my, as I said, my private practice, I run a, a surf retreats, surf therapy retreats business. And just like two days ago, I'm told that the border in Mex in Morocco is closed for another month. Does that mean we can do something in October? Does it mean we can do something in November? Is there going to be a second wave? Are we going to be locked down again? Just, you know, just in my own experience, it's very stressful. And for, you know, I like to think that I have to practice what I preach and I have a degree of resilience, etc. but I find it very stressful. And just, just, you know, just to take a, a really simple thing, my cousin called me up messaged me at the weekend said hey do you want to come to greece for a week in the summer they've got a little place there brilliant just spoke to her just now she's like i don't know if we can do it they just changed their mind about something about here and now we're going to have to do this and we're going to you know and it's just like and that's just in three weeks time planning ahead six months to a year uh, must be it's just unbelievably stressful for i think particularly you know for a lot of these small businesses i've just went for a walk just now I don't know if I'm making it up in my head or not, but there, there seemed to be an air of desperation in a lot of these, you know, the business owners, like I walk past some barber shops and they're like, are you coming in? Yeah, it just, it just feels really sad and stressful. And as you and I know, one's productive life is the most important thing in your life. And that's what really has been, I think, shut down more than anything else is people's productivity. And um, people want to work. That's what I've really learned from this. And people want to get out there, but they just can't. And the, and the general population is terrified. That's really sad. 
Yeah, it's sad in multiple ways. Uh, for one thing, it's so it remains unclear and has remained unclear. Like, how susceptible am I to this? To this to this virus being like really detrimental, and versus how much am I going to spread it? Versus do wear a mask, don't wear a mask. I mean, I think wearing a mask tends to be the consensus, but still, it's just been um, it's been just so difficult to like figure out like what should I be doing right now? And um, and so you said some of your elements of your business are thriving through all this. Yeah. Do you mean like your your therapy? Your yeah, uh, it's a, thri thriving in the sense that like I have a uh, I'm turning people away. Oh. I'm having to find other people to refer to, etc. Because there's been this, you know, in the first two weeks of the pandemic, when lockdown came in, I lost about a third of my. And we're back after a slight technical difficulty, but not even technical difficulties can slow us down, let alone a little pandemic out there. Um, so for me, the um, the social unrest here in yeah. America is has been like sort of um, affiliated in my mind with the pandemic. I wonder about the relationship of the two. Obviously, this is not the first time there have been protests that got violent and reckless, but um, but it's strange for, on multiple levels. First off, people being stuck at home with that level of uncertainty for so long must have made them sort of anxious and kind of ready, mm -hmm. a lot of them to kind of lose it or like find something to be willing to overthrow society in the name of. And then also the... Um, the strange intersection of ideology with the facts on the ground. And what I mean is it's like when it comes to leaving the house to run your business, um, you, you can't do it because you, you might spread the, the virus. Right. But then yeah. when it comes to the black lives matter protests, we've got thousands upon thousands of people standing, you know, with, with, that, with no daylight between them, an ocean of people standing across Hollywood Boulevard in the name of, you know, uh, let's say in the most benevolent interpretation of the movement, it's it's to stand up to police brutality, which is obviously a valid thing to protest against. But it's like, OK, so like, where is the standard then? Like, is the virus is the virus also opposed to police brutality? So the virus is going to agree to not spread at that protest and and it's difficult to like argue like because of the way people sort of uh ha are compartmentalized if you argue if you, if you take issue with the protest they say oh so you don't care about police brutality you think it's fine are you racist and or then if you want to go run your business they're like oh so you want to spread the virus it's like both sides are sort of right in a way and also wrong in a way and 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 it's strange that then now the government reflects this compartmentalization the government is actually saying the virus won't spread because of protesting, but it will spread if you open your barbershop. It, it just yeah. added an extra layer or multiple layers of difficulty in knowing what to make of all of this. It's, it's, yeah, that cognitive dissonance is what, you know, ultimately, as cognitive dissonance gets stronger and stronger and stronger, people go mad. But, you know, I've heard this all the time, like the way people justify and rationalize behavior it's the same in addiction. It's the same in many areas, you know, the, the, the way people will talk themselves around to make something all right. And the, the, the longer and sort of I notice the more vocal they are about it, probably the stronger the dissonance. But, you know, oh, but I was protesting, I was wearing a mask. So that's okay. Or everyone there was young. 
okay you know that these things that are, are, are put out there or uh, fighting racism is more important than stopping granny from dying really which one and just goes round and round and round and round and and it's such an emotional response that there's not much reason going on i'm afraid in from what i observe and so and you know hey as you said the the race card is is pulled on everything oh so you're a racist if you even query it yeah and, and that's what i've noticed anyway yeah and it's um i mean the way that um the way that implicit ideas are sort of everywhere, like we don't even really notice it so much. So when it comes to uh, initially wanting to stop this pandemic, everyone's appealing to your love of, of your fellow people, especially your family, your grandparents. It's like, yeah, what do you want to kill old people? What are you yeah. cruel? So there's that. But now when it comes to um, the, the BLM protests, we see the sort of, um, the ideology, the philosophy sort of uh, being vocal that basically says everyone is part of the problem. And the older you are, the, the more you're part of the problem. The farther back you go in history, the more guilty people yeah. you find. And we need to remove their statues. So obviously, if we're removing statues of basically anybody, why would we make any adjustments for grandma and grandpa, right? Aren't they racist? Aren't they part of the problem? I saw a, um, a tweet the other day by a black guy saying uh, he posted a picture of Anne Frank and he said, he said, all my life I've been told to feel sorry for this racist Becky, for this, for this Karen. I've been lied to. While my people are being, you know, killed across America, I'm supposed to sit here and make this uh, racist, you know, white girl the object of, of my sympathy. Like, you can see how uh, philosophy and how, how you know, the ideas coming out of the university adjust how people look at everything. So, yeah, when it comes to the protests, who cares about granny, right? She, she's probably racist anyway. We're here yeah. to fight for the young. We're here to fight for the, for, the, you know, for the oppressed people here today and in the future. We're here to shape society in, in the proper way. But when it comes to uh, you know, the early stages of the pandemic, then, it, yeah, it is all about protecting the old and uh, preserving their lives. So... Um, yeah, there's 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 always there's always a, a rationalization that kicks in, and do you remember uh, Jordan Peterson? Remember him? Rings a bell. Yeah, rings a bell. Yeah, he he popped up on my YouTube recommendations the other day, and it was something I hadn't seen before. And I, I thought, oh, I haven't listened to him talk for a while or whatever, and I clicked on it or something, and I, but it came up that there was some kind of discussion around. Um, apparently, all college kids if you ask them, say that if they were around during slavery, they would have all been against slavery. And the same is said with the uh, concentration guards, camp guards, etc. You know, everyone claims that they would have been there fighting it. And uh, the, the truth is, most of them wouldn't. And this is something that he, he uses as a thought experiment. And I thought that, that was quite um, an apt one now, you know, that the, the, virtu the, the virtue signaling and the uh, and the righteousness, these you know most of the kids uh, believe that that's uh, how th how they are and how they would always be, and that's part of their judgment of 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 the time. You know, my question for you, to you though is how far back do we go in these judgments? When do people start getting led off their behaviour? When does the context like do we judge the Romans for? Mm -hmm. Or do we judge the Greeks or do we, 
Look, there are uh, there are heroes in history. There were yeah. abolitionists. There, you know, there are people who took brave steps in their context towards mm. reason, individualism, capitalism, the things that we hold dear today um, and should hold dear today. Um, so, when it, I mean, it's a rich topic, kind of like to, this thought exercise. Well, how would you behave if if you were back then in history? And a lot of people, uh, yeah, we want to feel like, I mean. Uh, Mark Wahlberg said in an interview once, like if he had been on the airplane in, on 9-11, he would have stopped the terrorists. And I think he got some some heat for that. Like he yeah. was disrespecting the people that were on the plane. Like, but it, there is something where like a lot of us, we, we feel like, oh, we could have we could have stopped this if we were there. It's an interesting topic. I think Jordan Peterson, he leans too much into the whole like, what makes you think you're better than that? Like, what makes you think you would be any different? Kind of like we all yeah. have an inner Stalin and an inner Hitler, which I think uh, is a problematic uh, place to jump to as well. Um, Unless you go on Twitter. And then you realize there's a lot of people in there who are have their inner Stalin and their inner Hitler right at work. Absolutely. But of yeah. course, they're uh, they're the I guess we'll, we'll, we'll give them uh, some we'll give some red meat to the uh, to the social constructivists and say they are, in a sense, products of their environment. And what I mean is they were educated a certain way and sure. their conceptual library was filled with these certain ideas. And they're able to have that compartmentalization or, or maybe cognitive dissonance is how you'd put it, where, you know, the communists are completely absolved of any guilt because they're their cause was supposedly, you know, noble, whereas the Nazis are rightfully condemned yeah. to the point where people that are not Nazis are now grouped with the Nazis because they won't get on board with the left. So uh, philosophy is heavy equipment, I always say. Um, if I were running a psychology practice, I would have that hanging up above the door saying philosophy is heavy equipment. But um, this is uh, it's maybe it's a good thing that I'm not a psychologist because uh, there's multiple reasons for that. So um, I think just, we've got a few. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just something to say. I know that like we don't always want to be doom and gloom and everything. Mm -hmm. There is a, if people want some uplifting, uh, I'm very uplifting in uh, lockdown and, and shutdown and everything. There's this movie that, that Dr. Yaron Brook is pushing at the moment called, uh, and I haven't seen it yet, but I'm really excited to see it, um, called Mr. Jones. And I don't know if you've heard about it. It's on, uh, apparently it's on Amazon. And it's, uh, it really shows uh, the importance of integrity in journalism in the 1930s when the New York Times were reporting how great Stalin was and how great communism was, etc. Um, it just made you, you made me think of that just now when you were saying, you know, Nazis bad, commies good. And apparently this film is a great um, drama based on true stories showing how awful the 1930s were in communist Russia and the integrity of this journalist and the non-integrity of certain other journalists. And apparently it's a fantastic film. And um, I'm sure there'll be, you know, something of high value for a lot of the listeners from the show. And I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, me as well. Uh, me too. And it's, um, I mean, it's amazing to see the, the way that journalists have treated uh, tyrannical regimes. Um, you know, there was a, there was a, a political cartoon, in uh, around 1960, around the time of the Cuban Revolution, a, a political cartoon in the National Review where um, Ca uh, Fidel Castro is saying, I got my job through the New York Times be because of the way that the New York Times had encouraged and downplayed the, the uh, evil of the spread of communism and the way they encouraged the, the takeover of the communists in Cuba. Um, 
And the the journalists of America, they were probably, you'd find, surprisingly friendly to Hitler and the Nazis at, at one time, like before the war, before it became so uh, apparent how atrocious yeah. the Nazis were. Because that, because before that, fascism was not a dirty word. Fascism was a, a type of this progressive quest for utopia. So, um, like, yeah, we... I, what we're what we're lacking is a a consistent and pro individual philosophy in the culture as Ayn Rand offers, which helps us understand how to uh, how to look at all these different regimes. And until then, it is basically left up to the academics and then the journalists to say like, oh, communism gets a pass no matter what they do, and Nazi only Nazis are condemned because they're racist. So racism is the only crime that we actually hold as an absolute. So we're removing every statue where someone may have been racist or had something to do with racism. Whereas somebody with the blood of a hundred million people on his hands, you know, that guy get lets erect a statue for him because he was a good communist that wanted to help the poor. So we really, really need to uh, uh, understand that the antithesis to racism is individualism. And um, we're at a point now yeah where even the, the libertarian candidate for president is tweeting out, we need to be anti-racist. She won't even say individualist because that shows you how the libertarians, many of them, they cede to the academics, the vocabulary that they're going to use. Sure. Because they see the ideas. Go ahead. And talking of individualism, um, another thing that may be uplifting and inspiring for today's listeners is I got an email from the Ayn Rand Institute about some of the letters of Ayn Rand that they've, they've been posting up on their website. And, Today's was an exchange of letters between Ayn Rand and Frank Lloyd, Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright. And they're incredibly moving and incredibly powerful uh, exchange. And I highly recommend anyone who wants a little bit of inspiration and wants to see that the heroes that Ayn Rand wrote about do exist in real life. And uh, it's really beautiful to see her reverence for him and his reverence for her and uh and their discussion of individualism and it's it's incredibly powerful I, I i was very moved this morning over my breakfast as i read them i really need to yeah. be reading uh the journals and the letters of ayn rand they've always been on my list but of course there's so much there's so much to read uh that i haven't gotten to most of it yet um but, and you know the reason we remember um frank lloyd Wright is because of his architecture because of his virtues and if it turns out he had a racist thought in his head once that doesn't mean we need to then smash his beautiful homes that he designed yeah. um we need to uh remember historical figures for what they did in the name or in or in the process towards individualism liberty yeah. capitalism the values that we hold dear rather than um you know canceling them posthum posthumously i think we might be out of time i know yeah. we, we had a couple minutes of uh of a, a little un unplanned break thank you for joining us today this pleasure has been, this has been a fantastic despite the little mini pandemic that interrupted us here we were still able to overcome and that needs to be what you turn to in your mind watching this at home when when things unforeseen things pop up remember that we were able to power through this episode and so can you in the episode of life. Until next time, have a fantastic time and wear your mask. Goodbye. Bye.